0: Before we get into the text, I just want to try to give you a setting of what's going on here and the situation behind this passage of Scripture. Again, it's a passage that we're all familiar with. We've heard these verses. We've read these verses time and time again. Uh, If we've been in the church any length of time, and they've just kind of become familiar to us. Uh, This is the week commonly referred to as Passion Week. Uh, That is, it's the week that Jesus would go to Jerusalem to... Suffer and die for the sins of the world. That's what the Passion Week is referring to. In our text today, the situation we'll be looking at, it's Sunday as that week begins. Jesus, uh, along with His disciples, begins very deliberately, very deliberately to make His way to the city of Jerusalem. Many people are coming to Jerusalem. It's Passover week. A time when it will seem like all of Israel has come to gather in the city of Jerusalem. The city's bustling with people, coming for the Passover. And so Jesus is coming to Jerusalem in a time which most of Israel is going to see or hear about the events of this day. Picture that. Great crowd. People are coming. There's just an enormous crowd there. This, this event is often called, if, you're, if most of your Bibles have a heading there, it's called what? The Triumphal Entry. The triumphal entry is done by Jesus for some very specific reasons. There's a purpose behind why Jesus is doing what He does. And by the way, there's always a purpose behind Jesus doing what He does. Up until this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has attempted to push attention away from Himself. When reading the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see that when people confess Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God... What would Jesus tell those individuals? Would He tell them to go broadcast this to each and every one you see, just make this known? What would Jesus do? He would say, no, don't tell this out loud to people. He would instead tell them to go back to your your town, your city, and you tell people there what God has done for you. You read the, the Scriptures, you see that. Jesus never tells people to go broadcast things about Him. He says, tell it in the local area where you're at, but don't be broadcasting this. By entering into Jerusalem this way, Jesus is forcing people to respond to Him on His terms and on His timetable. That's why He never said broadcast it because there would come a time when there would be... Jesus would take care of that. Jesus knows that now is the time appointed by God the Father that He would be offered up as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus knows this. At this time when all of Israel... Did you pick up on that? All of Israel... now. We won't say each and every person is there, but by saying all of Israel, the understanding is the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people are in Jerusalem. The week before, that would not have been the case, right? But now, there's an enormous crowd there. At a time when they're all gathered there, Jesus wants everyone to see very clearly who He claims to be and what He's come to do. Jesus is teaching us that He is for sure a king... But he's not the king that the people are expecting. What were the Jewish people expecting? Someone who would come in and overthrow the Roman government, suppress that government, rule and reign, and make everything for us peachy, right? That's what they're looking for. But Jesus is not that king. He's not that king they're expecting. Jesus declares himself not only to be king of the Jews, but he also declares himself to be king of the nations. I hope we understand that. Jesus was labeled and talked about as being king of the Jews, but Jesus will make it clear here, in particular when we look at the Old Testament passages involved here, that Jesus was not just king of the Jews, but Jesus declares himself king of the nations, the entire world. So if you're looking at your hand out there, here's the main idea of what's going on here. A public demonstration to show that Jesus is the Messiah. What has Jesus done up until this point? He's kind of suppressed that. Keep it quiet. Don't be broadcasting it. But now the time has come. There's going to be a public demonstration to show the world that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. From this point on, He'll never say, don't broadcast it. There really won't be a need because I'm going to take care of that today. Notice on your handout there, Matthew 21, 1-11, we have the sovereign, humble, Savior, King. Verse 1 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. Jesus makes His final trip to Jerusalem. This will be the last time He goes there because what happens? He's crucified, right? This is the last time He goes to Jerusalem. He's about to reach the end of His mission that God the Father has given Him. And as He enters Jerusalem, large crowds, they, they follow along with Jesus. And the crowds were there again to celebrate Passover. But unknown to them was the fact that they were with the Passover lamb himself. One commentator refers to this as the beginning of the end. Matthew 21 records the last week of Jesus' life. Matthew 21 begins the last week of the life of Jesus. Here we have events that are planned before the foundation of the world. This week is the culmination of the mission of Jesus. It was the most important week in the history of the entire world. There's never been another week like this. There was never a week like before it there'll never be another week like it in the history of the world. This is an extremely there's some kind of understanding now why they call it the triumphal entry. Verses 1 through 6. I would call this a precise prophecy. It's like a, a sub-point under your main point there. A precise prophecy. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And He will send them at once. So what's going on here? Jesus tells two disciples, Look, I want you to go in that little village. And as soon as you get there, what's He telling You're going to find a donkey there. In fact, you're going to find a donkey. And with that donkey, there's going to be what? Her little colt. It's going to be with her. Now, bring them back to me. And if someone stops you, if the the owner or one of his servants comes out and says, Hey, you donkey thief, where where are you going with with the donkey? You tell him. What are they supposed to tell the the owner or whoever might question them? The Lord needs them. When you say that, then at once they'll let you bring it back. Verse 6 says, The disciples did as He said, and they bring back this donkey and her colt. The disciples, it says, went and did just as Jesus directed. Now, imagine these two disciples. Picture this scene. They go to get this donkey, and all this happens, and they look at each other and say, This happened just the way Jesus said it would happen. We come and get the donkey, and guess what? Somebody comes out to question us, and we just say, hey, Jesus needs it. And the guy says, okay, take it. Can you imagine how they're looking at each other, and they're kind of conversing about that? Here's the point I want to make. God designed every detail of this event to show the world the kind of king that Jesus is. Every detail was planned ahead of time. Jesus is a sovereign Divine King, Jesus, a man and yet God. He divinely orders the place where a donkey and a colt will be, and he orders the time and the purpose. He put that donkey and her colt there. Jesus said, What was the words? He said, The Lord needs them. This is a claim that Jesus is Lord of all. He's divine, He's sovereign. He planned every detail and He tells them, I'm sovereign. I need these. These are meant for my purposes. Do you see the picture? It was no coincidence that this donkey and her colt were in this particular place at this particular time. God designed it that way. Here's a point of application you and I can make. If Jesus knows even the location of a donkey and her colt, we can be sure that He knows our hearts. Do you see your life in light of that kind of knowledge as a professing believer? Or even if you may not be a believer, do you live your life, Christian, in light of that kind of knowledge of Jesus? He knows everything. Do you live your life that way? I would suggest to you that sometimes we live as if He doesn't know where we are or what we are doing or what we are saying or what we are thinking. Here we have a reminder that Jesus is omniscient. He knows Everything. He knows everything. And so, professing Christian, we must live our life in light of that kind of knowledge. Look at verses 4 and 5. Not only is Jesus a divine king, He's also a prophesied king. Now, if you're like me, I'm wondering, why the donkey and the colt? What is Jesus doing here? Why, why does He want to ride in Jerusalem on a donkey? You know I ride around here a lot and I see these donkeys... And this week I was reminded, I'll ride by and see him at the field. I'm thinking, why in the world would anybody want to ride one of those? I watched a video the other day of a guy trying to, and it wasn't pretty. He has never done anything like this before. You, you imagine, the disciples what what's Jesus doing? Does he really understand what he's about to do here? Matthew tells us why in verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, that's Israel, behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is a quote from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus has chosen to act out the fulfillment of this prophecy and to declare his kingship. In the action of riding on a donkey. That's why Jesus chose the donkey. That's why it was there. That's why He set that up. Because in the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah said, A king is coming one day, and he's going to come to you. And how will he come? Riding on a donkey. Even the colt of that donkey. He won't ride the donkey, but he'll ride the what? The colt of that donkey. By riding in Jerusalem as donkey, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah testifies that Jesus is the Messiah. Zechariah in the Old Testament, 500 years before this event, says there will be a day when the Savior of the world, the King of the world will ride into Jerusalem and he'll ride on what? The colt of a donkey. This is no coincidence. This is happening. I think I've quoted this verse several times, but I just want to remind you of it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. There was a point in time when Jesus took the disciples back and he began with Moses in the book of Genesis, and He walked them through a long Bible study. He says, Here I am. I'm at everywhere. And when He got to this point in Zechariah, He says, Hey, one day, that, that was me. It, it was. Pro- I'm going to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. Verse 5 in Zechariah 9, verse 9, say, Say to the daughter of Zion, Israel, behold, your king is coming to you. He's coming to you. Jesus is the people's king. Matthew is saying, look, Zechariah said your king would come to you on a donkey. People, here's your king. Jesus said, go get the donkey because Why? I need the donkey. I'm going to fulfill this prophecy that I'm the Savior of the world. I need that donkey. The king is coming. as a He's not coming, excuse me, as a conquering dictator from a far country. He would never ride a donkey into town, would he? He comes as the people's king. He comes to them. He comes for them. He comes for their benefit. He's the prophesied, promised king who would save his people from their sins. By the way, Matthew... Chapter one, verse twenty-one says, "She will bear his son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will what save his people from their sins." Jesus says, "I'm here. I'm here." Zechariah said, "I would do it." Here I am. Here, here, here's your king on a donkey. Now, that's the last thing you'd expect your king to be riding on, right? We would never put. Well, I might not better to go there. I was going to say we wouldn't put our president on a donkey. Some of them might like to, but we would never put him on a donkey. We would never put, if we are going to have a parade in Castellia or Centerville, we would never put our president on a donkey, would we? No, we wouldn't do that. I'm not coming, Jesus says, on a white war horse with a sword and a rod of iron. I'm not coming to slay you. This time I'm coming to save you. Today is the day of salvation. Your your salvation has arrived. It's here. But it says He's coming for the daughter of Zion. That's Israel. You're going, what about everybody else? Well, let me read the rest of Zechariah chapter 9. And by the way, Jesus knew Zechariah chapter 9. Jesus could quote it. Because He what? He wrote it through the Spirit of God. Listen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt. The foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow of war will be cut off. And he will speak peace to the nations. Uh Uh-oh, so it's not just Israel, but it's the nations. And His dominion, His kingship, listen to this, will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So it's not just Israel that Jesus is the king of, but Jesus is the king of what? The entire world. He's saying, here I am on a donkey, humble and lowly. I've come to save you. He's not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the entire world. Notice the humility of the king. He comes as a king, but he comes in humility. Matthew says Jesus sat on them. You see that? That might cause us some confusion. He sat on them. But if you go to Mark, his gospel says that Jesus sat on the colt. Mark is clear. Jesus didn't sit on the donkey. He sat on the colt of the donkey. Jesus chose the colt, the smallest and lowliest of the two. He comes into town riding on a borrowed donkey's coat. Picture that. This is the God of the universe. God on a donkey. Are you getting that? He's riding in Jerusalem a donkey that he didn't own. There's no bridle. There's no saddle. It's a picture of humility. This is not the king that was expected, right? No. David Platt who's the president of IMB, and his commentary on Matthew says, 500 years before Jesus came, God promised that a donkey and a colt would be available the week of Passover for Jesus to ride in Jerusalem. You don't write a script like that unless you are God. Jesus very intentionally, very intentionally, deliberately acts out the fulfillment of Zechariah 9 and declares that He is the humble, gentle, saving King. To the entire world, Jesus is the global, worldwide king. That's what He's doing here. How many of you ever read Matthew twenty-one, one through eleven, ever had that thought? You just kind of read it and you're like, "Okay, let's go on." I've got to get my Bible reading done today. Let's check that off and let's let's go on. Notice in verses seven and nine, the perfect praise. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Jesus sat on the cloaks. They're not saying He sat on the donkeys. Don't get a picture of Jesus straddling two donkeys coming to town. On them means He sat on the cloaks, not the donkeys. And it says, Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were what? Shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The disciples put their cloaks on the donkey and they put them on the colt. Jesus chooses a the colt. They weren't just thinking, we need to make this a little softer for Jesus because these old donkeys can be kind of rough, right? They put him some cloaks on there. They want to make it soft, right? That's not what's going on here. If you go to First and 2 Kings, you'll see that during the enthronement ceremony of a king, there will be a laying down of robes and cloaks before the one who is going to be crowned king. Well, that makes a big difference here then, doesn't it? Jesus is what? I'm the king of the world. These disciples lay down their cloaks, probably unknown to them that they're fulfilling what takes place in the Old Testament when a king is enthroned. These disciples take off the signs of who they are. Their identity, and they lay them on these animals. Because in this time period, your cloak, what you wore, was an indication of your identity. Uh, Let me put that in modern day terms. It was like if you wear a shirt that has this little horse on it that's carrying a polo mallet. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That's kind of some kind of identity of status, right? Or maybe you have one that has an alligator on it, or what is that? That's Izod, or you have uh, the little... Flag thing, that's Tommy Hill figure. You get the picture, that's a sign of indication maybe of your status. They take off what is their identity and they lay them on these animals. And the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John say that Jesus, what did he do with those cloaks? He sat on them. The disciples take off the signs of who they are, their identity, and they lay them on the animals. The Gospel of Luke says that the disciples. Sat him on it. They literally picked Jesus up and they sat him on it. It's a picture of enthronement. The disciples place Jesus above. They set Jesus above themselves. They take their identity and they lay it down and they set Jesus on it. That's no accident. That's the enthroning of a king. Here's how you and I are to look at this, professing Christian. Is that what you do? Does Jesus have first place in your life? Is your life about Jesus and His kingdom or is your life about your kingdom? Jesus is more than a ticket to heaven. He is life. He is the one we lay it all down for. You've terribly misunderstood what it means to be a Christian. If you think Jesus' sole purpose in life is to give you a nice, comfortable life. That is not His purpose. Jesus saved you to follow Him. And you'll never know the true joy of belonging into Jesus until He is enthroned on your life. Is Jesus first in your life? Or does He take a back seat to you? Do you pursue His mission in this life or are you to pursue your mission? Verses 8 and 9. As Jesus actually enters into the city, the crowds join. In response, they, they spread... What do they do? They spread their What? Their cloaks, their robes on the road, and others spread branches from the trees. Again, a picture of what? Enthroning of a king. That's what this is a picture of. Verse 9 tells us the people come together and they begin singing about the king on a donkey. Did you get that? They're singing about this king on the donkey. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. These words come from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Psalm 118 is commonly referred to as a messianic psalm, meaning this psalm points us to who, the Savior Jesus, and who are they? Who is this psalm being sung to right now? It's one of the six psalms most frequently quoted in the New Testament, and every time it's applied to Jesus, every single time. So this is an extremely big deal that these people are singing. And they're directing this song toward who? Jesus. Hosanna means save now. Actually, Psalm 118 says, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. What does Hosanna mean? Save us. Is that what Jesus is there to do? I'm here. It was told I was coming. I'm here. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm here. Don't forget, this is Passover week, right? The timing of these events is extremely important. The crowds, as I said, in Jerusalem were just overwhelming. There was people everywhere. People were coming to celebrate what? Passover. Passover was a time for the people to remember what, church? When they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. That's what Passover was about. And in that rescue from Egypt, there was a Passover lamb. And what did it do with the blood of that lamb? Spread it around the door. Now Jesus, the Lamb of God, is coming to launch a new and greater Exodus. Jesus being in Jerusalem during the Passover feast was no coincidence. Just like it was in Exodus, Jesus is here to save people from their greatest slavery, thats a slavery to sin. Notice verses 10 and 11. There was a precise prophecy, a perfect praise and a perplexed people. And when He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Can you imagine? Saying, who is this? I think that's what we'd all be doing, right? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowd's Or in the beginning, they are what? They are stirred up. They're asking, who is this? And what's the answer that's given? He's the prophet from Nazareth, Jesus. They got this right because that's what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. There will come a prophet from me who will be greater than me. And he's talking about Jesus. Unknown to him, that's who he's talking about, but that's who's coming. These people are excited, right? They're all joining together and they're singing uh, popular, positive things about Jesus. But don't forget that this same crowd at the end of the week will be shouting what? Crucify Him. Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the hearts of these people. He knew they would change in just a matter of days. Jesus knows what's in the hearts of people. You cannot fool Him. He knows it. Some people were very positive about Jesus, but they were superficial in their knowledge of Him. They support Jesus, but later in the week, that support what? It fades away. Thus we see that their knowledge of who Jesus is, it's superficial. How do we make application from that? I think it's important for us to understand the lesson that we... There's a lesson here for us to learn. It's not enough to think positive thoughts about Jesus. You ever been talking to someone? Say, you know anything about Jesus? Oh, he's a good guy. Great teacher. It's not enough to think positive thoughts about Jesus. When Jesus comes again, he's not going to ask, Did you have positive thoughts about me? He's not going to bat his eyes and have this big smile. Did you have positive thoughts about me? Great. Good. Come on in. The question you'll have to answer is, have you accepted Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners? That's going to be the question. And by the way, He knows the answer before He ever asks the question. Have you acknowledged who Jesus claims to be? And more than that, have you personally admitted that you're a sinner in need of grace and have you trusted in Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the Gospel? That does it for Matthew 21. You see the picture? A king was prophesied to come on a donkey and it happens just the way it was prophesied. The king is here. He's not here to slay you. He's here to save you. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. Let me read these. Your handout, it changes now. The sovereign judging reigning king. Listen as I read these verses. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, not a lowly donkey. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Here's my point. The king of Revelation looks a lot different than the king of Matthew 21, does it not? There's a big difference here, right? In 1 John, as we've been studying, we've read that we are living in the what? The last hour. We've explained that. Someday soon, this same Messiah who came the first time riding on a humble donkey, proclaiming salvation, will come again it will be a whole different story this time. This time he comes on a white war horse it says to tread the wine press of the fierce wrath of God. That's not the coming that we saw in Matthew 21. But when that day comes, the day of salvation will be over with. It will be gone. There were those in Jerusalem who missed God's grace. My question for you is, will you miss it? Right now, today, Jesus may be calling you to Himself for the promise of grace. But if you refuse to come and bow to this rightful King, you will face an awful day of judgment on your sins. Revelation tells us that day is coming. Jesus came the first time offering salvation. And let me tell you this, the offer still stands until Revelation 19. Then comes what? Judgment born again Christian let me remind you of something today the blood of Jesus has been applied to your sins God will pass over you on the day of judgment just like in the Exodus when he passed over and you'll be safe praise the Lord on the cross Jesus satisfied God's wrath against you when that day comes you'll be passed over And here's what I want to encourage you with. today: as you take the Lord's Supper, remember that Jesus lived for you, He died for you, He rose from the dead for you. To God be the glory. Right? When you partake of the Lord's Supper today, you should be grateful for this King who come riding on the donkey. And you should be grateful that one day when He comes again, He will pass over you because the blood of Christ has been applied to your life. But there's some here today living in the last hour that that horse could come and you'd be called off guard. You will not have time to respond. You'll be judged for your sins. But that day's not come, right? Today's the day you're sitting here and you're hearing about this gospel. You're hearing about how you can be saved and redeemed and reconciled to God. So when that day comes, you're passed over. Today's the day of salvation, the Bible says. Don't put it off. Today's the day to call upon Christ. Let's pray.